by no one's demand but our own. And from our home office here in sunny, scenic, beautiful, starting to feel like fall, Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast powered by our friends at Two Rivers Ford and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Steve Lehman of News Channel 5 is going to be today's guest co-host, and we're going to take you through the ins and outs of what happened in Seattle and what to expect against the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday. Now, as we sit here recording the podcast, Carson Wentz has since practiced on Friday and is potentially going to be available for this game. So Steve and I spent a lot of time on Jacob Eason and on Brett Hundley, who of course are the backups to Carson Wentz because at the time he had not practiced and he is dealing, you know, he's wheeling around the Colts facility on a uh, scooter on two bum ankles, but we'll see how this thing goes down. In the meantime, I'll tell you about Two Rivers Ford. They have the all-new Built For You program, which means that you can order any Ford, any color with any available features and accessories from Two Rivers Ford and have the vehicle delivered right to your door. It's just another way that Two Rivers Ford makes buying a vehicle easy. So if it's not on the lot, it's not a problem. Two Rivers Ford will order the exact Ford you want built just for you. So ask about the all-new Built For You program at Two Rivers Ford today. Two Rivers Ford, love where you buy your Ford. Six one five sessions podcast. Buck Rising live from the parking lot of Cumulus Nashville. Steve Layman of News Channel Five in what looks to be a palatial office setting. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of good Titans content coming off a successful weekend in Seattle, and now heading into Week Three with uh, Oilers Homecoming Week and the hated Indianapolis Colts coming to town. Steve, buddy, it's been a minute. How are we? Buck, it's good to see you. I'm glad we're both in a place that has Wi-Fi, unlike the press box in Seattle. Although it does look like a little bit like you're being held hostage right now. Well, you know, I could I could say that about myself at various points in my day, Steve, as to as to who is holding me hostage at any given point. But this this time it's me holding you hostage for about 30 minutes on a podcast. So, you know, the, the Seattle, it, that, that is still so perplexing to me. We get to the Seattle press box for people who lack the context. It's the technological capital of at least the United States, if not one of the technological capitals of the world. And there is no Wi-Fi to be had in the press box. It's an incredibly impressive stadium. But for the purposes of a working media core, uh, it was irritating. It was enraging. We had to find ways. I'm frankly, I'm surprised that half of our uh, half of our uh, compatriots were able to get themselves online at all, given that we do tend to trend older as a Titans media core. Yeah, it was mind blowing. I mean, they did have a Starbucks in the press box, so I guess that they get brownie points for. But how do you not have working Wi-Fi in Seattle? I, I figured Wi-Fi was just everywhere, and they couldn't somehow manage to do it in the press box. It was unreal, indeed. But the caramel, the caramel mocha that I had at halftime, top notch. So yeah. instead of uh, instead of bitching about press box Wi-Fi, we're going to talk about what the Titans did well, what they did poorly to get down twenty-four to nine at the half, and then what things kind of work in their favor heading into this week against the Colts. So, Steve, I think I think that's the obvious place to start is that that performance, that overtime win against the Seahawks. And, you know, you and I were sitting next to each other during the game. We 
we we looked like or it looked like they were dead in the water for the entirety of the first half. They come back, they start to show signs of life, and and it gets to the point where I become less concerned about this team, and I start to I, I start to question, you know, okay, how much of week one in the NFL is just kind of a lie because the results across football this weekend look much different than they did in week one. Do, is that is that just the, the nature of overreaction in, in football coverage or are we are we looking too much into one thing one way or another? I think we talked so long in the offseason about what each team is going to be and what they look like that when we see them on the field for the first time, we absolutely overreact to what they do in week one because that's all we've had to think about and talk about and look forward to. And then when they go out there, especially in the case of the Titans, and lay a complete egg against Arizona, you're only left to think, gosh, did we misjudge this team for the last eight months or the last four months or all through the preseason? And then you see more of the body of work and it makes more sense. Because you're right, Buck, when you look around the league at week two, so much changed. And the way I look at it is if you're a good team, in the NFL, you're going to be at worst one and one after week two, because you may have a really difficult game. You may be on the road in week one. You may lose and people may think the sky is falling. But if you're a really good team, whatever your situation is in week two, you're going to find a way to win and not start 0-2. And, and I think you saw that, you know, the Bills lost at home to the Steelers. They come back and win in week two. The Ravens lose that crazy Monday night game in Vegas. They come back and beat the Chiefs in that great game in week two. I just think if you're a good playoff caliber team, you find a way, even if you lose in week one, maybe don't look good doing it, you find a way to win in week two. And that's what the Titans did. And I think we have to give them a ton of credit for turning it around because I'm with you. At 24 to 9, walk into that locker room at halftime on Sunday. I thought they looked dead in the water. And we were going to be talking about how does this team bounce back from this? Instead, they bounce back in the second half at overtime. And it's a totally different outlook right now for this team. Without question. And, you know, it's it's things like Jameis Winston's Jameis Winston's interception problem being corrected due to LASIK surgery in the offseason. Week one is a lie in the NFL until such time as it's proven otherwise. Um, for, for Tennessee though, we, you know, we watched that game together. We experienced the, the comeback that was, and the impressiveness of the performance. And I wonder, Steve, what, what did you find most impressive about them offensively? Cause we know, we know that the defense, it wasn't as bad as the coverage busts made the box score to believe the pressure was there. They were getting home on Russell Wilson. They're running all kinds of stunts up front with Autry and Simmons to create that kind of pressure. And you saw it pay dividends. Um, you know, Bradley McDougal has since been cut, so it'll probably be Dane Crookshank out there next to Kevin Byard against the Colts. But, you know, I, I, I talked about this with Greg Cosell and I, Derek, Derek Henry means the run game. So by, by transitive property, I guess I have to say that I was most impressed by the run game, but I went back and looked at, at the, the offensive line versus Seattle's defense. And it wasn't as good as Derek made it look. I wonder if you experienced it that, it, it that way or, or whether Derrick Henry was even the most impressive part to you? Well, I think the simple answer is Derrick Henry was the most impressive to me. The way he continues to do this, the way he continues to dominate the second half and fourth quarter of games when this team needs him to be at his best, he is. But then I kind of extrapolated that. I think what the offensive line did without their very high-priced 
left tackle and left guard against that Seattle front. Was it dominant? No. But did they do their job, especially in the second half, fourth quarter and overtime? Yes. And I think that was really impressive. And then the other part that comes to that to me, Buck, is we've all been wondering how Todd Downing steps into the shoes for Arthur Smith, right? I was really impressed at the patience he showed in that game because let me tell you who would have been very near the top of the list of people to blame this week had the Titans gone to 0-2 and lost that game 38-14 to or whatever, similar to like they did in week one and what it looked like at half. People would have said, Todd Downing stinks. Where's Arthur Smith back? This offense is a joke without Arthur Smith calling the plays, even with more tools to run with, like a Julio Jones. Get him out of here. He needs to be fired. He's a bum. You know, and for him to be able to stick with the running game in the second half, down by two scores for a big chunk of it, and just chip away and pound away and let that offensive line wear on the defense and let Derrick Henry eventually find those creases, I think he deserves a ton of credit. And for me, Buck, the moment the game really turned, the whole second half was an improvement. But when Derrick Henry busted free on that 60-yard run early in the fourth quarter, that was the moment in my head I thought, we got a ball game. They have a legitimate chance to win this game. And I think everybody else in the stadium, including the rowdy 12th man, thought the same thing. They were thinking, uh-oh, here comes Derrick Henry taking over the game. This could be something. And that only happens because Todd Downing stuck with the running game even when they were down. And it's it's the difference between week one and week two because they went away from that very, very quickly against Arizona for good reason. I think Seattle, I think Seattle fans started to panic a little bit after the missed extra point because they've played so many damn weird games <laughs> under Pete Carroll that this is the this is the experience of the Seahawks fan at this point. And I think you're you're it's it's a well-made argument that the offensive line, maybe there's plenty of room for improvement, but they did their jobs well enough to get Derrick Henry those opportunities. A.J. Brown, for what he didn't do in the passing game, was critical in springing him on a couple of those running plays as well. So something to kind of look at and look forward to as a Titans fan after, you know, full-on panic in week one. I guess, and the, the, the Todd, you sound like one of my sports talk radio callers, Steve. He's a bum. Fire him. It <laughs> makes me very happy. Uh, but with, with this coming game, we just saw as we sit here taping this on a Thursday morning that Tom Pelissero is saying Brent Hundley took the, the majority of the starter snaps for the Colts. He's currently on the practice squad, which is a rare enough occurrence, but he does have nine NFL starts to his name. Which which quarterback between Jacob Eason? I mean, Carson Wentz should be considered a long shot at this point, dealing with not one ankle sprain, but two. So which quarterback do you think the Titans would rather see on Sunday between Eason and Hundley? By the way, I thought Carson Wentz was like 20-something. How is he a 57-year-old man with two sprained ankles from the same game? I mean, because Aaron Donald literally folded him up like a balloon, like a clown might at a kid's birthday party. That's exactly what happened there. I mean, I guess that is what happened. But, uh, gosh, the Colts are in trouble, though. I mean, they're praying for a miracle here to get Carson Wentz back on the field. But I'm with you. That seems like a real long shot. At this point. And so then it's either Jacob Eason, who was two of five and had a second pass picked when he got into the game on Sunday, yeah. or you go to a guy who's on the practice squad. And you're right. You never see a practice squad QB taking the lion's share of reps on a Wednesday. And the fact that that happens makes me think that they saw what we all saw on Sunday. And that's the Jacob Eason just isn't ready. 
And so if that's the case, you, you might be going with a practice squad starting quarterback on Sunday in Nissan Stadium. And, you know, for the Titans, again, think about how different everything looks. You come back in that game, you're one and one now. You're tied atop the division with the Texans, who we all know stinks. So that's not going to last very long. And you have a chance to bury your chief rival in week three. You have a chance to go out there and pound them at home, get to two and one, and be two full games up on a Colts team that would be 0-3 at that point. I mean, this is a massive, massive game, and I think the Titans should be riding high given what they just did. And I think the Colts have to be worried as all get out because if Carson Wentz can't go, they are a real mess under center. I swear, though, it's 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 a Colts game. It's at home. They're having this Houston Oilers homecoming thing. They're honoring Bump Phillips. They're going to put him in the ring of honor. Last time they tried to do anything like this, Steve, the field caught on fire and they lost to, I think, it was a Jacoby Brissett that was quarterbacking the Colts for that week three game uh, when they put Eddie George and, and Steve McNair in the ring of honor and the pyrotechnics. Now the rest of the league is no longer allowed to use pyrotechnics because of the way the things exploded on these on the field at Nissan stadium in dramatic fashion. I just, everything sets up too well for them. I, 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 maybe it's a little bit of anarchy in me, but I can't help but think, Oh my God, it's, it's another Murphy's law game. Anything that could go wrong probably will. Well, and you, we have to be worried about the left side of the Titans offensive line still, right? I mean, Taylor DeLon came back and practiced yesterday. That's a good sign. But honestly, I, I'm as concerned about the Lawan thing. And trust me, the Titans need a healthy Taylor Lawan to be on the field and play better than he played in week one for this offense to ultimately be what they think it can be this season. But because we don't know exactly how healthy he is, I think that means – all the more that Roger Saffold is a critical piece to what they're doing. He's been a stabilizing force along with Ben Jones for really the last calendar year since Lawan went down. He did it in week one again. He was really good in that game. He was really good again Sunday until he got hurt. And the idea that he couldn't come back into that game, one of the toughest guys you'll find in the NFL couldn't come back. I think that's troubling. And if he can't go, especially if Lawan's out there, now all of a sudden that left side of the offensive line goes from a real strength on paper to a real question mark. And I also think just the importance of Saffold is highlighted by the backup situation. Because as we saw, Ty Sambrello has played a lot of football for this team. And he's played at left tackle for this team. And so when he steps into the game, is it Taylor Lawan? No. But you know what you're getting from that position. I think you know how to play call with that guy in the game. If you go to Aaron Brewer for Roger Saffold for a full game, when other teams have an idea that that's maybe what's coming and can scheme for that. I don't think we know what we'll see there. You know, what can DeForest Buckner and the Colts do up front against Aaron Brewer? Uh, We haven't seen that before. And I think that should be a real concern going into Sunday. I was just going to say, I think I know exactly what we'll see there. I think we'll see DeForest (laughs) Buckner head up on Aaron Brewer. God help him. Aaron Brewer is not a physically imposing man. Roger Saffold is built like a superhuman. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is, you know, this is kind of a, this is kind of a concern, right? You've got a very highly paid starting to get older. Taylor Lewan is now 30. Roger Saffold is in his thirties. They've both played a lot of football. Saffold, um, Saffold really, I think if I recall correctly from 2020, it was a toe injury that he was having to battle through with, with yep. some frequency that saw Aaron Brewer see the field as an undrafted rookie free agent. But the, the Lawan thing, Steve, just kind of going back to, you know, the idea of 
over reactionary sports radio callers. People have been burying me all week talking about the idea, or at least yesterday when we were when we were uh, reporting that Taylor Lewan was a full participant, and Mike Vrabel said that he would give it a go. People were acting like, what do we need Taylor Lewan for? I don't understand this obsession with trying to downplay a three-time Pro Bowl left tackle who is arguably on your roster, even with all of the new pieces and parts and all of the hugely talented individuals and young players that they have acquired. Taylor Lewan's still a top six player on this roster when everything's right. What, What is this obsession with Titans fans and Taylor? I don't know. It's troubling. I I think it goes back to his rookie season and those troubles, like first impression lasts with people, I guess. And I think some of the antics and some of the things he said and some of the things he's posted on Twitter and all of that just rub people wrong. And they've never kind of forgiven him for that, I think. And I think it's a small but loud minority in this group. You know, I think most reasonable Titans fans understand for the Titans to be at their best, they need Taylor Lewan to be at their best because they need all their good players to be at their best. And you are talking about a guy who's a three-time pro bowler and has been one of the best players at times, the best player on this offense throughout his career. Is he still that guy? I don't know, especially coming off the injury, but he's a really good football player that the Titans need to be healthy. And I just think there are some people out there who kind of never let go the initial stuff about him being a captain but kind of acting like a clown off the field when his first year or two stuff that he even admits and says, look, I had to grow up from that to be the player that I am today and be the man that I am today. And I think he's done that, but I think some people just haven't let it go. And so therefore he's an easy punching bag when you see a flag come out and it's illegal hands to the face or a personal foul after the play or a false start, or he gets beat by Chandler Jones, who, by the way, is a pretty good player in his own right on a play. People on a contract here. So somebody was going to get got by Chandler Jones, whether it was Taylor Lewan or other. Absolutely. But I think people just want to go after Taylor Lewan for those reasons. And it's dumb because if this Titans team is going to run away with this division, and certainly if they're going to have any ability to compete with the chiefs and the Ravens and the bills and the AFC, Taylor Lewan has to be a dominant force on the left side. Yeah. Yeah. The, the dynamic. And I, I just, I go back to, I remember when I was interning, I was fresh out of college. It was 2015. So that would have been Taylor Lewan's what that would have been his second year uh, as a, uh, cause that was Marcus Mariota's rookie year. I was interning at one Oh two five. It was Darren McFarland and Derek Mason. I was an intern for their show, and Derek had this ridiculous rant about Taylor Lewan wanting to be a Backstreet Boy because he likes to wear nice suits as a left tackle. And you're you're so spot on about the first impression thing, and I don't understand why people aren't. I you know I don't want to say aren't smart enough, but I really do think it's an intelligence thing to not be able to separate yourself from the emotion of how you feel about an individual and his personality and what he does to help you on a football field. Well, think about this is you're a little, you're a little younger than Taylor Luan, but like go back to that year, fresh out of college when you're interning for them to where you are now, like how much have you grown as a person, Buck? Like how, how different are you? How, how much better are you at this, at this podcast? Although, I mean, frankly, sitting in your car, you kind of look like an intern still out there, but I mean, how much- my camera angle shakes. Cause I'm laughing. Cause this is sitting on my knee. Thank you. So but I mean, 
But how much have you grown? I think that's it, right? I mean, every everybody grows. Like, I'm different than I was six or seven years ago. And I'm older than Taylor. You know, it's just everybody grows and matures like that. And especially in your young 20s, especially from the time you're a rookie to the time you're a veteran and a leader on the team. And that's just the thing is Taylor Lewan, because he was a first-round pick and because the team stunk, was anointed – this captaincy thing by Ken Wisenhunt at the time, one yes. of the many dumb things that Ken Wisenhunt did, but he wasn't ready for it. He was placed in a position of power that he didn't deserve at that point in time. And he got this unnecessary spotlight where all of the mistakes he made on and off the field, sort of growing up, were just highlighted. And again, it rubbed people the wrong way in some instances, but he's a very different person and player from that day to now. And he deserves to be respected for the growth that he's gone under. And there's just some people, I had a caller the other night on Sportsline that had the same thing. They're like, Taylor Lewan's a bum. Get rid of him with Todd Downing from the first half and, you know, put Quez over there. Start Sam Brylow. We don't need him. And it's like, yes, you do. You need Taylor Lewan. You really do. Yeah. No, I think people would push back on that notion that there's been growth and development in my life, Steve. I think even at 28, I'm still a bit of an asshole and there's still probably some maturing that needs to be done. But what are you going to do? There's still time. Maybe next, maybe by maybe five years from now, I'll be out of the car doing the podcast and have, you know, a more conventional setting. Um, Kind of a lovable asshole. though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, that's the, that's the spot, baby. That's what we got to do. That's the lane. Uh, so speaking of, uh, speaking of assholes, assholes on the internet, talking about this Houston Oilers uniform, who does it belong to? There's, there's some, there's some podcast, speaking of podcasters who are jerks podcaster in Seattle, who's screaming at people on the internet yesterday, calling Tennesseans, uh, squirrel sandwich eating hillbillies and that they should, uh, they should give back the culture that they stole from the city of Houston given that the Tennessee Titans are formerly the Houston Oilers, but people are loath to appreciate that or understand that. Again, it comes back to a, to a singular theme of intelligence on this podcast. Uh, wh- why, why is this something that comes up every year? Every year, with it, whether it's J.J. Watt and Instagram posts, whether it's some jerk on a podcast in Seattle, like why is this something that continues to perpetuate? Uh, con- I mean, listen, it's good content, but why does it stir things up the way that it does? Well, one, people love uniforms for some reason. It's like the most important thing to some people, but just because it's the history, it's the culture about it. I hate the fact that franchises ever leave the city they're in, right? You know, I think we all do because fans put so much into it. They put their hard-earned money into season tickets and uniforms and all that sort of stuff to support the team. And then they up and leave and move to a new place. I was in Oklahoma when the Supersonics left Seattle and became the Thunder. That maybe has something to do with that guy's rant from yesterday because he feels it was like a similar thing that the Oilers left their rightful place in Houston and moved to Tennessee. But here's the thing. That was over 20 years ago. What's done is done. I think the real thing in this situation, Buck, is the NFL has handled this poorly in the idea of they've kind of let this – linger out there. I mean, they immediately assign that, look, the franchise goes with the team. All the history goes with the team. So the Oilers history is the Titans history, but they've never really kind of let the Titans play into it because they've got these weird rules that you can't wear throwbacks and can't have different helmets and all that sort of stuff. And maybe at some point it was to protect the shield and the brand of the NFL, but 
They don't need that at this point. At this point, if the Titans came out with every different uniform that they've worn in the history of the franchise next season, it would just mean the NFL would sell more money or sell more jerseys and make more money. And the Titans would make more money. So it's not that anymore, but because they haven't allowed it, it's had other people sort of separate the Oilers from the Titans. And I think that's really unfortunate because there's a great history there. And we're going to see it on Sunday with those 80 former players back and celebrating love you blue and all that sort of stuff. It's a shame that they can't wear those uniforms though, because one, they're sweet. They'd look awesome if they'd be able to do it. But two, when they're celebrating the past and the history of the franchise, the full history of the franchise, what better way to do that than to remind people on the field and be like, you know what? The Titans are the Titans now, but they once were the Oilers. And that's a part of who they are. All those people, all the names, the, the Adams and the, um, gosh, I'm blanking, uh, Earl Campbell, you know, like Warren Moon, the running uh, – Everything that goes with that, Matthews and Munchak and all that sort of thing, it ties into what the Titans are today. And I think the NFL's messed this up, and I hope they change it in the future because it would be sweet to have more of these celebrations in the future with the right jerseys on the field to do. Yeah, that's that's such a – I, I don't know that I've heard the perspective that it's the damn NFL's fault, but it only makes sense that the uh, the governing body would have handled this poorly to create. Well, don't you think they'd be wearing them if they could? Oh, no, 100 percent. Are you kidding me? They've changed their profile picture as a as a franchise to this across social media. They're, they they want this because not only is it good for the history and it's good for people who associate with Warren Moon and, and Bruce Matthews and Robert Brazil and all of these Hall of Fame caliber players that played for this franchise before it, but also for the people that they're trying to get to care about the Titans who are transplants, like all of my friends who don't necessarily have a relationship with the Tennessee Titans other than they live in Nashville. Now those Oilers uniforms are sweet. You could sell merch like that without, without, without breaking stride. It is such a layup from a marketing standpoint. And this is as much about winning games on the field as it is about marketing if you're an NFL team, but also you need to get younger as a franchise and your, your population in the city of Nashville getting younger. This is an easy way to attach yourselves to them. 100%. I think that's exactly right. And, and you point out wisely what they did on social media this week. They they want this as bad as anybody. And they're not the only team. Now, they're a unique situation. But there's a bunch of NFL teams out there who would love to wear a uniform from 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago to step into their history, to embrace that part of it. And the NFL is just not really allowing it to happen for they allow the bumblebee uniforms in Pittsburgh every once in a while or whatever, but there's not much of that. And it would be cool. I mean, heck, they should have a throwback weekend once a year. I mean, they did an entire month of pink for, it was a good cause. Don't get me wrong. The, the cancer month was a good cause, but they did an entire month in pink. Why can't we have at least one weekend every year where we put on the sweetest uniforms every team's ever worn and we embrace that for a while? <laughs> That's the headline coming out of this podcast. Steve Lehman hates cancer patients and pink. That's exactly how this is going to go down. That's not what I said. That's I know, buddy. I know, but you know, I'm an asshole podcaster, so that's how I'm going to sell it. Steve Lehman, News Channel 5, has been kind enough to give us some of his time. You can check him out directly after the games with our buddy John Burton, Jonathan Hutton, now Keith Bullock, doing exceptional breakdowns uh, over there for News Channel 5. Always great content. 
being produced over there. Steve, buddy, it's good to have you back on the pod. We'll, uh, we'll I'll make sure that it's not so long between uh, stints next time. Buck, you got a little less lovable throughout the course of this half hour, but I still hope they give you a studio back soon. That's how, the, listen, that's the effect. Thanks, Steve. Many thanks to Layman for hanging out with us, and we're happy to be back on track. We're going to move the 615 sessions to every Thursday to allow for uh, my travel schedule to be a little easier on the way back from Titans road games. And so we just thought that we would make sure that we made you aware of that and what you can expect in the A to Z Sports podcast feed. What you can expect from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is another week of action with can't-miss offers. Bet just $1 on any football game this week and receive $150 in free bets instantly, no matter what. And this football season, all customers can swing big with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. Same Game Parlays allow you to combine multiple bets for a bigger payout. This week, place a Same Game Parlay on any NFL game and you will be credited up to $25 if your bet loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code A2ZSports to receive $150 in free bets instantly when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code A2ZSports to get $150 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older and present in Tennessee to bet. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text the Tennessee Red Line 1-800-889-9789. So, it's going to be a fun game. I'm going to be out there at 9 a.m. In fact, I think I'm going to stop by one of the tailgates at 8 a.m. before my 9 a.m. Titans Radio Lee Company Countdown to Kickoff pregame show outside of Nissan Stadium. So if you're hanging out, come say hi. We'd love to see you. And uh, as always, stay safe, stay clean, and stay hot, Nashville, except it's going to be pretty cool out there, which makes me very happy. This has been the 615 Sessions podcast from the DraftKings Sportsbook Studios. It's powered by our friends at Two Rivers Ford and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and a to z sportsnashville.com.